Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Wednesday, February 10th, 2021. In all of our lives, there are just certain rhythms and routines that we all have. For instance, this podcast and listening to it might be a part of a routine in your life where even there is a certain time of day that you listen and think about all kinds of other things in your life. You, you wake up each morning and there are likely certain things that you do. We are all familiar with rhythms and routines in our lives. As we look at the Old Testament right now in Exodus, we're seeing a lot of rhythms and routines that were meant to be a part of the life of the people of Israel and specifically the life surrounding the tabernacle. And what I want us to see today is that while we shouldn't construct a tent, you know, outside of our churches or in our backyards and copy all of these things with the tabernacle, there are some ways that what we see going on at the tabernacle should translate into rhythms and routines in our own lives. Today, we look at Exodus 30 to 31. And again, we're seeing more about the tabernacle. And today it's going to talk about the altar of incense. So you think about the tabernacle, the tent itself, it's divided into two rooms, the holy place and then the holy of holies or the most holy place. And in that, there's nothing but the Ark of the Covenant. But in that holy place, we've already talked about a couple of the things, the table of the the bread, the, uh, the lampstand that was there. And also there was to be this altar of incense. And that is what is talked about today. And he instructs them what to do with this and they are to burn incense on it. And it tells them how to make it and it should be overlaid with pure gold. And and it tells them all of the things. And in verse six, it says, and you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony where I will meet with you. So this is in the the holy place before you get to the veil that shields the, the most holy place. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it every morning. When he dresses the lamp, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. And so there it talks about this incense. Even twice a day, it was to be burned. And there was to be this this fragrant, uh, you know, just burning of incense in the tabernacle every day, morning and night. And as I read that, I was reminded of Psalm 141, which says, O Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me, give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So there, the, the psalmist talks about even just his own prayers and the lifting up of his hands in worship, at, and it uses these pictures of incense and, and sacrifice. And that's another thing we see is that we even talked about yesterday, daily sacrifices being made. Well, again, we're not calling you to, and I don't think this passage is calling you to have some 
altar or, you know, to light some fragrant incense in your house uh, twice a day. But I do think we should see some connections between these images of this incense and prayer and worship in our own lives. And I think like Psalm 141, we should say, God, let my prayer be counted as incense before you. And in the lifting up of my hands in prayer or in worship as the evening sacrifice, that worship and prayer should be part of the rhythms and routines of our own lives. And they should hopefully be a sweet smelling incense before our heavenly father. And so I would encourage you, is really prayer and, and worshiping God as a part of that prayer, a part of your daily routine? Could you say to God, let my prayer be counted as, as incense before you? Is your heavenly father kind of smelling that sweet aroma each morning and each evening of you seeking the Lord and, and talking to him and, and worshiping him and lifting up your requests to him because you trust him, because you you know that he is God and that he is in control. So here we see, yeah, the, the tabernacle, that, that seems really foreign to us, but some of these images should really be connecting with our own lives. Another thing that we see in today's passage is this bronze basin. There was this basin of bronze with with washing that was to be kind of in the courtyard of the tabernacle. And verse 19 says, and with with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet when they go into the tent of meeting. And when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die die. It will be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. And even this passage reminds me of a passage that I'll be preaching, Lord willing, this Sunday from John 13, where Jesus tells Peter, hey, Peter, you don't need me to completely wash you. You just need me to wash your hands and your feet. And even we saw yesterday, the these priests, they have been consecrated. But now they must wash their hands, wash their feet. And I think a lot of that might symbolize for us, while we don't need to be forgiven in the ultimate sense if we are truly saved, we need to continually be going back to God to proverbially wash our hands, wash our feet. And another thing that should be a part of the rhythms and the routines of our prayer life is asking God's forgiveness and confessing sin to him. Even if you think about the Lord's Prayer, that's one of the elementary things that we are told to pray for, that we would say, Father, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. So here from from Exodus 30 and 31, we should be seeing how some of these rhythms of tabernacle life should be really a, a pattern for rhythms in our own lives. And even we see that finally with with the Sabbath, which uh, there's debate about how exactly that applies today. But I do think every Christian say, hey, there should be some rhythm of rest in my life. And that honors God because that is the pattern that he set. He worked. He, he created the world in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. And that we need to admit that's something that I need in my own life. And that even shows a trust for God and a desire to follow his pattern. In our next couple of passages, we're going to be reminded of something we often talk about on Revival from the Bible. And that is how history helps. 
History helps. And as we remember what has happened in the past, that is going to help us now. And we often talk about even two kinds of history, a personal history, but then also a broader and even biblical history. And we see both of those in passages today. We come back to Psalm 22, where today we look at verses 9 through 15. And again, this is a messianic psalm, but a psalm where we see suffering, The psalmist is going through suffering and he talks about his suffering, but then he keeps coming back and talking to himself. He talks about his suffering and then he says, yet, and then he talks about God being enthroned. Well, today in verse nine, again, we get to another yet statement where he's talked about his suffering, but now he's coming back and talking to himself. And he says in verse nine, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. So there he's reminding himself of his personal history, going all the way back to his birth. And he reminds himself that God has been his help from those first days when he was a helpless baby. But even since then, he knows God has been his help. And now when he feels like all other helps have failed, who is he looking to? Who is he turning to? He's turning to God. Trouble is near, but he's looking for God to be near. And as he does that, he's remembering how God has been near all the way going back to his birth. So maybe you today can think about going all the way back to your birth and how God has been your help. Even since you were literally helpless, you were just a baby. God has helped you through every trial. God has provided for you what a great God that he is. And now we see a more broader sense of history as we go to Acts. Acts chapter 13, verses 13 through 25. And now we see Paul continuing on his missionary journey. And what they're going to do now is they're going to go from that island of Cyprus And they're going to go now to, in modern day, what would be Turkey. And they're going now uh, across the the Mediterranean Sea, and they're going to um, these other cities, and they come to another city named Antioch. So kind of like in different states, sometimes there's cities with the same name. Well, this is a different Antioch from where they started their missionary journey. That would be in more Syria. This is in Turkey. And they go, and they go to the synagogue, and they're invited to, to speak. And we're going to get more into some of the meat of this gospel presentation tomorrow, but it starts with a lot of history. It starts with recounting what God had said to their fathers and how they were in Egypt and how they were brought out of Egypt and how they wandered through the wilderness and talks about Samuel and then David and him becoming a king and that of this man's, of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus as he promised. And then he talks about John the Baptist, but that phrase there at the end of verse 23 really stood out to me today, that he brought a savior, Jesus, as he promised. That one of the benefits of knowing biblical history is knowing that we have a God who keeps his promises. And again, there's so many benefits for us in that, that we look back at history and we know God keeps his promises and we can trust God to keep his promises now. We also see the humility again of John the Baptist in verse 25. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, I am not the Messiah, John the Baptist said. 
No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. May that be our attitude as we have the privilege of serving Jesus. And as we think about serving Jesus, we're we're starting some parables today in Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to get more into all the shades of meaning of this parable, uh, the very familiar parable of the sower, where some of the seeds is on the path and the birds take it. Some of it goes on the rocky soil and it sprouts up. But then when the sun comes, it withers and dies. And, and then some is thrown on the thorny soil and it gets choked out. But then some lands on the good soil and it bears fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty some 30. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, tomorrow, Jesus is going to get more into uh, the meaning of parables in general and the meaning of this parable in specific. So we'll save some of it for that. But we know that these soils represent different responses to the gospel. So even as we close today, and you hopefully spend some time this morning or tonight offering up prayers to God, I, I, I would encourage you to make one of those prayers a prayer that for good soil, that the seed that you are sowing, that the seed that your church is sowing would land on good soil that bears abundant fruit. So let's lift up our prayers to God and may our prayers be counted as incense before our heavenly father, even as they are a part of the rhythms and the routines of our own lives today. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.